0: All right, could you turn it down just a touch? There, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Ernie. That So yeah, I'm not sure what that was, but at least you can hear me now. Thank you. Uh, so we are, for those who couldn't hear me, uh, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And You'll remember that when we finished up in chapter 17, it was the, the famous story of David and Goliath, where, where David fights Goliath. He wins the victory for Israel, and from that place, we looked at last week at the beginning of chapter 18, how he established this strong friendship with the, the son of Saul, the king, Jonathan, and we looked at that theme of friendship last week. And today we're going to be picking up at verse 6 through the end of the chapter, and we're going to be looking at the theme of jealousy today. The theme of jealousy. So again, this is 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'll begin reading in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, A harmful spirit from from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for. The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before him. Then Saul said to David, Here is my eldest daughter Merab." I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king. But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, for a wife. Now, Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you. And all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus, and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to him, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when the servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and Lord, as we consider today this theme of jealousy, looking at the jealousy of Saul, we pray that you can do the work in our hearts that your word would systematically weed out the seed of jealousy within us, that we can love you more, serve you, and know the power of Jesus at work in us and through us in the gospel. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps some of you have seen the 1984 film entitled Amadeus. It's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, the the great composer, and it's about his rivalry with another composer, Salieri. And music history buffs debate how much history there is to that rivalry, but it's still this interesting look at this theme of jealousy, where Mozart has more natural musical talent than almost anyone else in history from a small child. Where Salieri was a successful composer, I mean his works are still played by orchestras today, but he wasn't a musical genius like Mozart. And there's a reason today that we know the the name of Mozart, but Probably fewer people know the name Salieri. And throughout the movie, you see how this root of jealousy grows and and festers in the life of Salieri. And so then he tries throughout the movie to destroy Mozart, to, to undermine him at every step. Because he wanted that kind of talent and acclaim and success. But of course, we know that that jealousy is real. It's something that you and I face. It could be the, the jealousy of a sibling, where you are jealous of a brother or a sister. Maybe they're more successful, or they get more attention from your parent. Maybe it's jealousy of a friend who in your view, has made more money or been more successful in their vocation or seems happier in their family life or that their, their health is better than your health and you're filled with jealousy. Or the jealousy of a coworker or a fellow student where they're advancing beyond you. They're getting promotions when you're not. They're getting better grades when you're not. Or sometimes we can even be jealous of people that we don't even know. We can be jealous of social media influencers or celebrities wishing that we had the things that they had or the talent that they have or the success that they have. And we feel this this root of jealousy in our heart, a lot like Saul in our text. And as I read this chapter from 1 Samuel, you see how this desperate Seed of jealousy begins to grow in Saul's heart as he's out of fellowship with God, and it grows and grows, and and through the rest of this book, we're going to see how Saul is overcome with jealousy. It ends up leading to his own destruction, to the destruction of his family, to the loss of his kingship, that it, it destroys his life. But we see the very first moment, the seed of this jealousy that would eventually destroy his life. And so he stands then as the, the warning sign, warning us about the sin of jealousy. And so today we're going to ask the question, how do we overcome jealousy? How do we overcome jealousy because we all struggle with it to one degree or another. So here's the first remedy for jealousy that we see in our text. That we need to remember the triggers of jealousy. We need to remember the triggers of jealousy. What is it that, that triggers that feeling of jealousy in your heart? And you can see the the trigger of Saul's jealousy. Look again at verse 6. It says, As they were coming home, this was from the the great battle with Goliath, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang... To one another, as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so you can see the, the scene here that there's the, the celebrating band of women with all of their, their instruments singing praise to, to David for his victory. And of course, there's even a, a, a mild failure, we could say, of the, the women here in the text that there's always danger when we are praising other people and leaving God completely out of the equation. And so it's significant that they're, they're coming with praise for Saul and for David, not praise for God. And that's always something to think about when we're praising another person. To, to bring God into the equation. That if your child does well in a sports game, to say, wow, isn't it amazing that God gave you the ability to do so well in that game? Or if they do well on a test, to say, wow, God gave you that kind of work ethic that you were able to work hard and get a good grade, and I'm so thankful for God's work in your life. That it's a, it's a wonderful way to think about encouraging others and it can guard somewhat against causing that feeling of jealousy from other people. But yet the women are praising David, and they say that he has struck down 10,000s, and Saul his thousands. And I don't think that they intended this as an insult per se for Saul, that I think that for, for an ancient warrior to say, you have struck down thousands, still would be a compliment, but it was the Comparison that made it an insult where he hadn't struck down as many as Saul, so this was the the trigger then for jealousy and look at how the jealousy begins to come out of his heart in verse eight. It says Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The image that always comes to mind when I hear Saul in that verse is is King Prince John from the old Disney Robin Hood uh, that just sucking his thumb and saying mommy, uh, where just filled with, with jealousy, this immature attitude, but also this somewhat shrewd awareness of the fact that David is now a political threat to his kingship, that he eyed David from that day onward. But it's important, I think, for all of us to consider the triggers of jealousy within our heart, that it can be different for each and every one of us depending on what you value most in life. But the normal trigger for jealousy is seeing someone else who has more than you in some area. More success, more beauty, more talent, more wealth, more popularity. You say, I want what they have. And pastors can be very guilty of this kind of jealousy that I... I often see this root in my own heart, where you look at another pastor and you say, they are a way more gifted preacher than I am. They are way more gifted in shepherding, or look at how they remember everyone's name, and I have to struggle to remember names. And you can be tempted to then turn that into this seed of, of jealousy, looking at the, the gifts and the talents of others. But if you think about it, jealousy at root is a violation of the 10th commandment. That if you were to go back and read the, the famous 10 commandments, the 10th is, thou shalt not covet. That covetousness is this desire for something that belongs to another, where you have this inordinate desire. And it could be for material possessions, but it could be for health or success, or relationships, anywhere where you look at someone else and you wish that you could take what they have for yourself. It is this, this root of covetousness behind jealousy. But in the Bible, it talks about covetousness, and it calls covetousness idolatry. And of course, that's the first commandment, that you should have no other gods before the true God. And so, in there, a sense, you can think of the Ten Commandments as a circle where they, they meet. The, the Tenth Commandment is another way of looking at the First Commandment, where when we're jealous, we're, we have some idol in our heart, that we're, we're idolizing something. We, we think that something other than God will fill us up, will make us happy, will give us the joy that we're seeking. If only I had this thing, everything would be okay. And, of course, there's also a root of pride behind jealousy. I love the quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity where he says that pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, Pride is gone. So again, jealousy, it's breaking the Tenth Commandment. It's covetousness. It's breaking the First Commandment. It's idolatry. It's, it's rooted in pride, thinking that we should have more. We should be better than those around us. And we can so often find ourselves in this kind of prideful, covetous idolatry that is jealousy. So again, that's the the first remedy that we need to remember, to pay attention to the triggers of jealousy. But it's not enough only to pay attention to the triggers of jealousy. That the second remedy is that we need to remember the fruit of jealousy, the fruit of jealousy, that the jealousy leads to this terrible, destructive, rotten fruit. And you can see this rotten, destructive fruit of Saul's jealousy in our text. The first rotten fruit of jealousy that you see here from Saul is anger. Look again at verse 8. It says that Saul was very angry at this same It reminds me of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel back in Genesis chapter 4? That Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. And he was jealous that God accepted his sacrifice and not his own. And the Lord came to him in Genesis 4, verse 6 and 7, and said, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And I could imagine God saying the same thing to Saul in his anger. Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And God can ask you that same question. That when you feel that that anger of jealousy welling up in your heart, God says, why are you angry? That we don't want to become angry, bitter people at the accomplishments of others, at the success of others. But that's often exactly what we do, that we can fall and bear this rotten fruit of anger. And so that's the, the first rotten fruit. But then we see another rotten fruit here there's anger, but there's also fear. And it says this three times in this passage. Look with me at verse 12 in your Bible. It says that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Or look at verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Or look at verse 29 in your Bible. Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. And of course, this isn't surprising either, that anger and fear are deeply connected, that when you meet an angry person, you're also meeting a a fearful person who's trying to mask their fear behind the the veneer of anger and self-sufficiency. But you see his fear, that he's afraid because he senses that God is with David. But remember what we read from John in 1 John four eighteen. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so if we're living in a spirit of love, we're not going to fear others, that they're going to be more successful, that they'll take that promotion, that they'll take the place of honor, that there won't be enough left over for us, this kind of scarcity, scarcity I can't say it, a mentality that we often have in life where, where we think that it's a zero-sum game, that some succeed and some fail, and so we're afraid that others will succeed at our expense, that that's often the way that that we can react. But the Bible says that that's the opposite of love. That when we're governed by love, love casts out fear. But again, Saul here is, like many of us, that he's operating more from fear than from love. And so we've looked at the the rotten fruit of, of anger, of fear. But then we see another rotten fruit beginning to come out from his jealousy, and this is the the rotten fruit of murder, or at least it's attempted murder here. And in this way, he follows in the the great pattern of people within the Bible who experience the, the jealousy of others. You can think of Cain and Abel that I mentioned earlier. It was jealousy that led to murder. Or or think of Joseph's brothers in Genesis 37, that they contemplated the murder of their brother. Or think of Haman and his jealousy of Mordecai in the book of Esther, and he attempted to murder Mordecai. Or think of Paul and the religious leaders in the book of Acts. Or preeminently think of Jesus and the religious leaders of his time. It says in Matthew, chapter 27, verse 18, that they were jealous of Jesus. That they were jealous that he was drawing the big crowds. That people were going after him, not after them. And it led to their murderous intentions that they carried out in the crucifixion of Jesus. That again, this is one of the rotten fruits. Murder. Attempted murder. And you can see how Saul tries to murder David several times, even within this one chapter. And we'll see this in future weeks as well. The first, in verses 10 and 11, he tries to pin him to the wall. We've talked several weeks ago about how he served as a music therapist for Saul when he was in his fits of his mental health crisis. And he takes his spear and he throws it at David, and David evades him. It happens twice, and so that's probably something that you should take up with HR, um, that if your, if your boss keeps hurling spears at you in the office, it's, it's a good idea to, to get out of the office to try to seek some sort of remedy for that. So, And of course, that's exactly what, what David is facing. But he seems almost oblivious that he just keeps going, and he seems pretty positive in his attitude. I don't think he's catching on. Perhaps he was attributing it to... The, the raving fits of Saul. Maybe he didn't think that it was actually Saul's intention to kill him, that he was not in control of his actions. But then it continues to, to escalate where Saul then tries to orchestrate David's death. He realizes that if if he kills David, that it would make him look bad. But eventually, if you're going to battle over and over again statistics will catch up with you, that eventually that stray arrow will hit you. Eventually somebody will stab you from behind in the midst of the battle. And so he tries to set David up for failure by sending him out to battle. Ironically, it's the same method of murder that David used to take out Uriah later in life that he had to repent of that act of murder himself. But here David Going out to battle, he continues to be successful, and David becomes even more popular. That the plan backfires because now he's winning even more battles, and then Saul finds out that his daughter Michal is in love with David, and there's some evidence, both in our text and the passage we'll look at next week, that she actually was a, a worshiper of idols. That's why it talks about her being a snare to David and. When he, she helps David escape in the next chapter, we'll see that she puts an idol, a household idol, into David's bed to, to, to cause a confusion so David can get away. So it seems that she, she may not have been a faithful worshiper of Yahweh, and so perhaps Saul wanted to snare David, to, to draw him away from the worship of God. But then also, he was hoping that his bride price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines would lead to the death of David. But again, in this kind of grisly biblical moment that David kills 200 Philistines and ends up marrying the king's daughter, again, it's all backfiring. In this way, he he reminds me of the, the movie Gladiator, if you've seen that movie, there's Emperor Commodus, and there's Maximus, the gladiator. And over and over again, as the emperor becomes jealous of this slave, this gladiator, he tries to have him killed, but then he keeps doing better and better and becomes more and more popular. And it ends up leading to the destruction of Commodus. And that's exactly what we see here in our text as well. But of course, this, this terrible fruit, this fruit of, of murder of fear, of anger, shouldn't surprise us when we consider this root of jealousy. Just turn with me in your Bible to the book of James. James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, verse 13. James was one of the half-brothers of Jesus who writes the book of James, which is really a book about wisdom, Christian wisdom of how to live life. And look at what he says in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. Of course, we see the meekness of wisdom in David from our text, where he keeps saying, who am I to become the king's son-in-law? And says, but If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder In every vile practice. And so you can see this very stark picture from James that he says, Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. Every vile practice, and he he doesn't mix words when he says that it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is the, the fruit of jealousy. And so the call for each one of us, when we feel that that beginning moment of jealousy start to rise in our hearts, when we see someone else who has more, to remember that this isn't just a casual feeling that is okay, but if that feeling of jealousy festers within your heart, it will destroy you. It will destroy those around you, that it bears terrible fruit, anger, fear, murder. And so then as we wrap up today, we've said that we need to remember the triggers of jealousy, that we need to remember the fruit of jealousy. But then finally we need to remember the remedy for jealousy. The remedy for jealousy. And the remedy for jealousy, comes back to our relationship with God. In the book of 1 Samuel, we've been looking at this breakdown of relationship between Saul and his God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. That in the end, that was the, the root of his jealousy, that he wasn't in communion and fellowship with God So these things start coming from his life. And listen to what Jesus says in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That if you're abiding in your feelings of jealousy and resentment, it will bring destruction. But Jesus says that when you abide in me, when you abide in Jesus, when you are rooted in him, when you're, you're drinking from the, the fountain of Christ, he says that you will bear much fruit. And it's not the, the fruit of anger, fear, and murder. But it's the the fruit of faith, hope, and love that we bear fruit in Christ, rooted in Him. That when we've repented of our sins and put our trust in Christ, when we're abiding in Jesus, that we don't need to be jealous because we have no reason to be insecure. That we are children of the King, that we have an inheritance that will never fade and never pass away, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we have complete acceptance, complete forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us, that we have everything in Christ. So why would we be jealous of another person? No reason for insecurity. But then also, when we abide in Christ— We can be thankful for what we have, that we can be thankful saying, Lord, I may not be the most talented person in the world. There are people who are more talented, but thank you, Lord, for my gifts that you've given me. I may not have the best health, but thank you for life that you've given me. I may not have the best grades, but thank you that you've given me the opportunity to to study and to learn. That wherever you're feeling jealousy, that the, the, the remedy for that is thankfulness for what you have in Christ, rooted in Him, abiding in Jesus as the root. And then ultimately, when you're abiding in Christ, when you're drinking from the fountain of Christ, that you can actually give thanks for others. That if Saul in our text had been drinking from the the fountain of life in relationship with God, he could have rejoiced and given thanks that God would bring such a, a brave, successful warrior into his army, that it wouldn't have been a threat. And it's the same for us, that when we are abiding in Christ, that we can see the ways that other people surpass us, and we can give thanks for God's grace to them, God's work in them. We can learn from them while remembering the hope and the joy that we have in Jesus. And it's ultimately this meal that we have the privilege of celebrating weekly where we are reminded of of what it looks like to abide in Christ, even as Jesus was celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples, you could think of the, the jealousy, the, the heart of Judas at that table as this meal was celebrated for the first time, plotting against Jesus while at the table with him. But then for those who are in Christ, who are abiding in him, this is a picture of what it looks like to abide with Jesus— that Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. That we, we don't believe that this is literally, physically the body of Christ. But it's pointing us to the reality of Christ's work. That he says, this is my, my blood, which is poured out for you. We don't believe that Jesus is physically, bodily present in this juice. But yet, as the, these elements come into our body... As we eat it, as as our body digests it, it's this image of feeding on Christ by faith, by abiding in Christ so that we can bear much fruit. Because when we are rooted in Christ's work, his sacrificial death, his broken body, his blood shed for us, that the, the, the weed of jealousy will never take hold in our hearts the more rooted we are in Jesus. And this helps us and strengthens us. Now, if you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus, we're glad that you're here, but we would encourage you to to wait, to to not take this. And we always say that's never to exclude anyone, but actually to protect you against hypocrisy, going through the motions of something that doesn't represent what you believe. That, Like the, the root of jealousy that bears bad fruit, hypocrisy bears bad fruit as well, and we wouldn't want to put you in that place. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or Presbyterian Church. This isn't our table. This is the Lord's table. But you come as one who has put your trust in Jesus, has made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not bound by the action of another church from taking this, but ultimately one that can join in professing the faith that we hold together. So as you look at page 9 in your bulletin, you'll see our profession of faith. And this is given to us by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, and most scholars think that this was an an ancient statement of Christian belief that even predated Paul from the earliest days of the church, showing that the humility of Jesus for us, which is the opposite of jealousy and pride. So, let's read together this profession of faith. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count a quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because on the night that he was betrayed, our our Lord took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we invite you to, to come forward whenever you're, you're ready. It doesn't need to be in a particular order. You can come down the center aisle here. And we will have the, the juice will be here. And you can take one of, the, one of these out of there, the little cups. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, you can take one of the, the cups from here. And I'll be here to break off a piece of bread and give it to you. And then you can return this way to your chair. Uh, we also have gluten-free here. If anyone needs it. it, has both the bread and the juice. And then, if mobility is an issue, uh, feel free to raise your hand, and Ernie can bring this to you. That again has both the the juice and the bread. But let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we thank you that we don't have to be jealous jealous of others, that we can be jealous for your glory. Uh, We can be jealous to see your name lifted up, uh, but, but not jealous of the gifts and accomplishments and success and health of others. Lord, we thank you that we are set free, that we have an identity that is not rooted in our outward abilities and success, but an identity that is rooted in Jesus I pray that today we can live out of our union with Jesus, that, that we would abide in Christ, that we would feed on his life by faith, that we can know who we are in Christ, and so that we don't feel those feelings of jealousy or, or indulge those feelings of jealousy in the same way. But Lord, we also thank you that you are a God of forgiveness that we've all sinned and experienced jealousy. But Lord, we thank you that when we come to you in repentance and faith, that you promise to forgive all of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we have the promise of, of life and hope and peace and a clear conscience because of Jesus' work for us, not our own effort. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. So now as we sing our final song together, I would invite you to to stand with me as we sing of the amazing grace of God that can free us from our jealousy, calling us to himself. thank you so much for being with us today for worship. As a reminder, we would love to reach out to you. So these connect cards are on the back table and your chair. I would encourage you to fill those out and put those in the box on the welcome table. And also we love getting prayer requests that we pray for every Sunday morning at eight fifty. So fill that out and it will be prayed for. And I encourage everyone to stick around after the service, for for coffee and fellowship. But hear now the, the Lord's benediction as we prepare to go out. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Bye, Eloise.